Welcome back to another episode of the Exterminatus Podcast, all things competitive in the world of Warhammer 40,000. My name's Eric, with me is my co-host Robert. Hi. Yep, we are back and we've got an action-packed show, wall-to-wall tournament coverage. As, uh, well, you know, there isn't been a whole lot of 40k news, unless, of course, you want to go back in time to a days of yore and you're a big 30k fan, in which case you are just basking in a new sea of plastic. Yeah, yeah. I'm actually here sitting with um, my Angron in his little fancy box as I look over my custodial going, they sigh. Yeah, so apparently with the, with the new rules, your custodes are in, not invalidated, but just waiting for an update at this point. Yeah, that's not a big deal. I've never, I never got a chance to play the original Heresy, and I spend way too much time playing 40k because I'm currently about 50% done with my Tyrant Clarence. Such a great name. <laughs> yes. Yes, he is the Nurgle Tyrant named Clarence. His his actual name is something like actually relevant. It's Lord Thaddeus Clarenvex the Ninth. Seems appropriate. But everyone calls him Clarence. Most friends do, at least. <laughs> Yes, um, he's about halfway done, and he will get more work tonight before I go to bed because I've had a, a busy weekend of delayed birthday plans, but those are unimportant. Still very cool. Glad to get out and party a little bit. Yep, so we're celebrating Memorial Day here, so one thing we did want to reach out to all the veterans that are listening to the show, as well as those who gave the ultimate sacrifice, and we thank you for your service. And uh remember you on this important Memorial Day holiday here in the United States. Indeed. I had family that was in the military myself, so they would probably respect that a whole bunch. So I just want to make sure we extend that out. All right, let's uh, dive into it. So yeah, well, right now, as we said, go to news uh pretty minimal at this point uh really focusing gw is really focusing on the horse heresy release uh really what are we expecting at this point uh just the possible ad mech and then the chaos books and that's pretty much it for the year is that um as in specifically for the heresy or for our actual 40k events? actual 40k things i'm just trying um to get for it. 40k um we already have ad mech that came out a while ago um, Astro Militarum, my estate. <laughs> yeah, no, um, we're waiting for Astro Militarum, Demons, and Chaos Space Marines. And then Leagues of Votan, which are squats, but not squats. Ah, yes, I totally forgot about them. And then, of course, the new mission pack was expecting probably first week of August, is what I'm guessing. And yeah. that'll be six months after January. And of course, there is um, also the most recent uh, Rift War book just came out. And um, interesting, I poo pooed it when it came out. I looked at it and said, okay, whatever. And for that reason, because it kind of came in with the idea that, ooh, it's going to be a homunculus style uh, army of renown. And I was really hoping for basically the return of Corpse Thief Claw, so, which is basically uh, Talos Crusher Stampede. And it was anything but. And it did have its flaws. It definitely looked like it was written prior to the balanced data sheets where Kronos and Talos lost core as one of their key abilities. That said, um, I've listened to a few other podcasts and I missed it. 
I was so focused on what I wanted and not what I got. It's not half bad. Yeah, because I know um, Scary was, attended an event this weekend, and he ran a rack spam list. I think he said. I think I heard him say he had like either 120 or 150 racks. Something to that effect. Uh, he's one of the few that have run similar lists, but it's interesting. Yeah. So basically, if you don't miss, uh, if you missed out on what that thing does, uh, you lose your obsession, but you gain a fallback and charge. And if your unit falls below half strength, your feel no pain jumps up to four plus. Well, that's really handy. Yeah, and but nothing you go wow, you know, about and but then when you start combining some of the other stuff, and I usually don't I don't like putting armies based off of stratagems. You know, I, mm-hmm. I kinda I kinda wanna rely on the bread and butter stuff because there's you know, just when you think like, okay, my army's gonna be really good as long as I get the stratagem off, and then next thing you know, you're out of command points and you're like, Okay, what do I do now? But that said there are three things about this army, and I, I'm stealing this blatantly from uh, Real Space Raiders, which is a Drakari-based podcast, because they're the ones that opened my eyes and went, what? Let me reread that again. Because even the Goonhammer review was kind of like, meh. Now, don't get me wrong. The Real Space Raider guys weren't like saying, this is going to be the new broken thing, but this has some pieces. I'll lay them out now. So one of the things they did add is the Homunculus has an ability where you can reroll ones to hit. Cool, because the only other way you could get that was through an Archon. Very yeah. handy. Okay. Because otherwise, the normal thing for most covens, you had no access to rerolls, period, right? Correct. Not without. Uh, you had rerolls to wound, and it was very expensive. It was either two or three. I have to look it up again. Uh, depending on the size of your unit, if you're using racks and if you're using grotesques or talos, it was always the max cost. Ah, okay. So it wasn't like an innate reroll. Correct. Okay. But that's so. That's one thing. I was like, okay. So other thing number two, there were two stratagems that are in the list building phase. I went, oh, I totally missed those. Now the bad news is you can only play them on core units. So right off the bat, you go, oh, that would have been awesome on a Talos or a Kronos. Number one, if you have poison weapons, they improve to wounding on a three plus instead of a four plus. Okay. Right off the bat, you're like, okay, okay. Well, racks have poison close combat weapons. So, like you said, Scarry taking 20 of them, 30, you know, large blocks of them, or even like a large block of Homoculux, suddenly they're wounding one better. That's not too bad for one command point. How about this, though? If you take a Blade for Hire unit, the way it reads is they gain the same um, keyword as all the other in this army of renown. So how about putting them on a unit of scourges with shard carbine? So now you've got a three-shot poison weapon that wounds on threes. Could be handy. I know it doesn't help when you're shooting into vehicles because at that point, poison weapons always wound on a six. But hey, But if I'm trying to going against the Eldar curse of hmm, I really need to take out those swooping hawks because they're really annoying. <laughs> Here are my dark Eldar swooping hawks. They're not quite as handy, but uh, <clears throat> hitting on threes, wounding on threes, I should be able to peel them off pretty quick. Yeah, because at that point the swooping, most aspect warriors only have what, like a four-up armor save? Correct. 
But wait, okay. there's more. You want to do some heavy lifting with those scourges? Sure. Why not? Now, one of the things that stinks about they used to be a staple was um, you used to always take uh, three units of five scourges with heat lances or haywire blasters just for it to be anti-tank. Well, now they have a stratagem that allows them to add plus one to the strength of the weapon. So suddenly, all your heat lances are strength nine. Ah! That is a thing. That is a thing. Now, granted, you still got a minus one to hit, but now you've got this homunculus, which gives you a reroll of ones. Not too bad. It's not awesome, but it's pretty good. But I saved the third one for last, and this one's my favorite. And this got me thinking, hmm. Because I don't see any of our tournament players playing this. In addition to the Blades for Hire, that also includes Incubi, who are core. And there's a nifty stratagem that says, if you destroy a unit in close combat, which I think Incubi can do from time to time, right? I'm pretty sure they have yeah. enough choppy bits. Sure. Spend one CP on them after the fight phase, after they kill that unit, they gain a four plus feel no pain for the rest of the game. Okay. <laughs> that is rather obnoxious. That could get obnoxious pretty quick. I know they're only T3 with one wound, but boy, adding four up involt, uh, have four up feel no pain on a incubi unit would be pretty wild. <laughs> well, yeah, it's the same thing as looking at you go, oh, your your psychic, your thousand sons, your psychic phase happened. You dealt fifty mortal wounds, and I only took thirty of them. Well, no, I only took twenty of them. Yeah. Something like a really stupid number. Whereas just okay. <laughs> yeah. So So there's gonna be I think there are a little more legs in that army list than people give it credit for. But um so anyway, thank you, George, from the Real Space Raiders for enlightening me and uh not being so poo-poo about I wish I had a thousand Talos again. Because yeah, it would have been great to have a, a Talos with plus one strength of heat lances on it, but that's not the case. But uh, we can dream for another day. Yep, like I can dream of a three-up invuln on my custodes again, but no. No, no. We just cannot have nice things. It's just what all there's to it. Yeah, I could polish my armor for like the hundredth million time, and it'll be just as good, I guess. Hmm, maybe. Speaking of which, you had an interesting experience with uh, our favorite bouncing uh, god of the dead. Yeah. Screw the incarn. <laughs> nah, um, the person that I played, he has brought the incarn twice against me. The first time, I did not respect the incarn, going, hey, guess what? No invulns. And he blew up Constantine, quite literally. And then the troop master went, I can do that too, and killed my bannerman. <laughs> um, this time around, though, Constantine went, nope, not taking any part in that fight. And the Incarn must have gotten depressed because he bounced off of my bikes and went, uh, uh oh, <laughs> and ran away only to get caught by Alora's Terminators and proceed to kill all of them. And I lost that game by, um, all, like, Anywhere between 10 to 15 points, I think, is the final score. Like, it was 75, 60-something. But it was very much a close game because of the fact that the Incarn did not kill all of my bikes in a single fight phase. 
Yeah, I'm really, especially with that confirmation filing that, yes, and Ari do get strands of fate. Uh, just, wow. Um, very, very tempting. It provides a lot of solutions. And yes, I know there's a lot of twists and turns and building the list there, but um, I definitely think that there are some legs that can be found in that, that particular build. The interesting thing, though, is a bit of a... <laughs> A goofy thing from an ITC standpoint. So Inari used to be its own faction, so it used to have a way to win Best in Faction Award. It's not a faction anymore. It's just a, a craft world. So um, for those of you turning in your lists, uh, you can write Inari all you want. At the end of the day, you're competing for Best uh, Suriani. So. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing that scratches my head all the time is why are there three different keywords that exist for this faction? I know... Eldari is the generic soup faction for Eldar. And then Asuryani is craft worlds. Like, why not just make one Eldar and make the other one the like god dang it. Make it easier to read, please. Yeah, that makes it even more confusing. I've read and I haven't seen an answer at this point. In the rule book, if you take Asuriani with a Harlequin. Uh, traveling players patrol you do not lose any faction bonuses so therefore wouldn't you still be in a Suriani list but a car- so according to the GW rules yes you can still play a Suriani you do not lose your keywords but according to the way the rules are written for the ITC as soon as you bring the Harlequins in you become an Aldari soup as opposed to a pure Suriani list <laughs> Yeah, I, I just don't know, man. Yeah, I don't know either. I just don't know. It's one of those. Uh, but then again, there's still people claim to be uh, Dark Mechanicus and <laughs> in the ITC, which I'm kind of like, or in Corsair. Somebody was trying. There is, technically, you can play a Corsair's army, but to, it's still coming out of this Suriani Codex. So I don't know. <laughs> yep. But we can talk about all the elder hijinks we want after we decide to go over the three events that we have this weekend. Yeah, let's start with Merry Old England and Goonhammer Open. How does that sound? Cheerio, good sir. So we have the just the top five people. Um, we have Seth Oster with Tau Empire. Oh, no, that's Rocky Rumble. I'm looking at this backwards. Oh, wow. Seth is getting out in the world. Good for him. (laughs) Whoopsie-daisies. I was looking at the wrong one. Um, So instead, we will go with Kyle Grundy, who, ironically, is also playing Tau Empire. So I did not mess up. That's an awesome name, by the way. (laughs) Um, In fourth place, we have Ben Allen with Harlequins. We have Ennis Wilson with Tyranids. Living on to that that bug-shaped dream. Um, Second place, we have David Gaylord with um, also Tyranids, and then the man, the myth, the crazy man himself, Manny Chima, showing up with Osiriani. So yeah, all the top English players, and just kind of run down the, the famous names outside of the top five. So Matt Robertson, uh, who's a frequently in the ITC top ten, came in seventh in this particular event. Nathan Roberts in eighth. Uh, he's also playing Tyranids, which I'm really surprised. When um, back in fifth edition, he was considered the best Drakari player outside of Canada <laughs> um, for many years, and then took them to the ITC. His brother Josh Roberts came in tenth with Harlequin. So uh, those two brothers love to quarrel with each other. So I'd love to see that ride home. That would have been a lot of fun. And then Mark Krobelholm, who's uh, 
touted to be the top Suriani player in all of England, actually uh, came in 20th place and uh, with four wins there. So, yeah, it definitely looks like Mark, um, he lost his round two with a pretty high score, but then round five, he just fumbled it. Like he had a real bad run actually into Nathan Roberts. There you go. So if you're going to fumble anybody, that'd be one to do. So let's take a look at Manny's list real quick. And uh, what does the top list look like here? All righty. Well, let's see if I can read this space elf mumbo jumbo. <laughs> um, so he is playing the custom craft world that we've seen people like Nick Navadi and some other people take a shine to of hail of doom and masterful, masterful shots. So sure can spam. That's the easy way to put it. Um, he has a seer council with um, a couple of warlock sky runners and whatnot. Um, a far seer sky runner. Well, two far seer sky runners. One is running Kernos's bow, which I'm assuming is some kind of fancy witchblade relic. Um, a single unit of Rangers, one and two 10-man bricks of Dire Avengers, um, two units of Vipers with Scatter Lasers, and then a single Wave Serpent, and then a Outrider attachment of Baharoth, the blue-winged <laughs> man himself, then seven more Dire Avengers, a five-body five Howling Pantry Squad, a unit of three shining spears if i'm reading that right because that's correct yep okay um then 10 19 swooping hawks and 18 wind riders yeah all the wind riders by the way twins shrunken catapults which kind of surprised me i thought they'd be scat bikes but apparently with the it definitely keys into the uh craft world that he's playing the swooping hawks obviously for and having Baharoth, so Baharoth makes the Swooping Hawks up upsec. So he's taking a lot of um, objectives that way. The Shining Spears, I love this squad. It's only three guys, but they gave them the uh, Heart Strike, Exarch Power, so uh, and then the Paragon Saber. So all of a sudden, he's got a ton of rerolls with the Exarch, and any two wound rolls of five causes mortal wounds. Yeah. Um it is definitely like the shining say the shining spears and the howling banshees and a few other things are like the the surgical implements of like he puts them somewhere and they do something um everything else just buckets of dice buckets and buckets of dice i like the vipers too because they're just so versatile for just like dumb stuff like uh uh behind enemy lines or even just um it's a table quarters one. I can't think of the time. Engage. Engage all, yeah, gauge all fronts. So all really yeah. good. Especially because of the fact that they're just individual units. So it's that kind of like, uh, do I really want to dedicate this much to a single Viper? Just uh, so much. Nope. And they're, they're fairly, they're basically like a, similar to a Venom. So they, they're, they're semi-resilient. But it's, it's one of those things where you got to dedicate enough shooting power that you're not shooting the other stuff. It's a pain in the butt. Mm-hmm. That's why the moans and the groans. Yep. David Gaylord brought in Tyranids, and you got to be thinking, okay, more Tyranids. Well, this, is a, this list takes what we've been talking about and takes it up to 11. So High Fleet Leviathan with uh, Hive Predator as well as Rarified Enhancements. 
His HQ choices are a Neurothrope and a Winged Hive Tyrant, but this is where the, the real fun starts. Not one, but two units of Tyranid Warriors, nine deep each. The 18 to start, and then two more units of three. So yeah, he's got 24 Tyranid Warriors on the table to start. Malaceptor, two What's up? Go ahead. Oh, so, and each of those warriors is like two or three wounds. <laughs> yeah, I believe they're T5, three wounds, four up save. It's, or maybe three up now. I have to double check. I, I'll check it up in a second. Either way, that's a lot yeah. of wounds. Yeah. I know they're now a separate category on my spreadsheet. It used to be like MEQ. Oh, if I can kill a Marine, I can kill a Tyrant Warrior. Not anymore. Uh, Maliceptor 2, Pyrovores, a Tyrant Guard Squad of 3, and uh, th 3 Venomthropes, and a Zoanthrope. Uh, excuse me, 3 Zoanthropes. I was corrected on that. Apparently it said a single Zoanthrope. I read somebody's list. I was wrong. And 2 Harpies, of course, with tw uh, Heavy Venom Cannons and Adaptive Physiology. So I'm going to look up that Tiered Warrior stat, but... Um, Similar things, but it's just taking dialing it up even further. We're just cutting even more and more fat out of the list and making sure that, well, we're just going to bring all the good stuff. Yeah, it is definitely a trip down a lane of, oh, we get to see people do more things with troop choices because of the fact that not a lot of people can chew through them. And yes, in fact, Eric, Tyranid Warriors, RT5, three wounds apiece, and a four up armor save. Yep, I just found it too. And only 25 points each. Yep. So at that point, it's 18, 24 warriors, you said? Yeah, two units of nine, two units of three. All right, so yep, 72 wounds of warriors. I'm so, I'm honestly surprised that he didn't bring at least one unit of Raveners instead of some extra warriors. But I mean, if he's running a battalion, that makes a lot of sense. No, I am surprised he didn't do that either because the Raveners are, are much faster. So it just really puts power, pressure on the opponent. So no, I think you're right there. Uh, it might have just been like a, a meta choice for England. Like they might not use Raveners as aggressively as we do over here, maybe. Or he was just because he was running the heavy venom cannons on the harpies instead of the stranglethorn cannons because the stranglethorn cannons are buckets of dice out of harpies. But when you need to crack stuff, you crack stuff. Yeah. The only thing I can think of is generally, especially larger events like this, they're usually running the IT, the, uh, the ITC, good Eric, uh, the European league. I can't think of the name of it now. Uh, the WTC. The, thank you. A WC style terrain and it's very dense. So you can really hop, you know, kind of hopscotch from one drain piece to the other. So it might be that maybe be a, a meta choice there in terms of I don't need speed to get from point A to point B because the distances between ruins is a lot shorter. Yeah, true. But I mean, Tyranids, sure, they're still running around in the top tables and finishing in top spots. I think overlooking this entire weekend, I don't think a single, a single thing, a single bug shaped item is in the number one spot. I did not, but they're still dominating quite a bit. So we'll, we'll see. Be curious to see if we do see any uh, further nerfs or adjustments to their, their points. So we'll see what happens. Yep. Are you a gamer that has more bare plastic than you have time to paint? 
do paintbrushes spontaneously combust when you hold them? If either of these is true, contact White Crow Studios and get your models painted by a college-trained professional painter. You can contact Bo at whitecrow.commissions at gmail.com and view his previously painted models at White Crow Studios on Facebook. With with that, we now actually hop back over to, to Tennessee, where That's I started. Tennessee. <laughs> yeah, where I started looking at the list and went oopsie daisies. To the Rocky Top Rumble, it was eight rounds, so another humongous tournament like Dallas Open was. And the top five was Seth Oster with Tau. We're on the right foot now. Um, <laughs> fourth place, we have Joe McMillan with Tyranids. Third place, we have Joseph Gillespie with Tyranids. In second place, we have Stephen Crawley with Tyranids. And then first an place. appropriate last name for a Tyranid player. <laughs> Crawley. Um, but in first place, we have Brad Chester with Oscar Yanni. Yeah, pretty amazing. So first of all, quick shout out to Seth. It's a, it, it's really cool to see a podcaster actually get out there and because um, he does the uh, signals from the Frontline show with Kicker and actually so that, hey, I can actually play the game. So it's kind of nice to see that. So. Mm-hmm. And we do, and there is a friend of mine and Don Hoosens out at, let's see, where did he disappear to? At Rocky Top, his name is Marcus Glozak. He is one of the few chaos players I know that runs stuff just as weird as Don. <laughs> but we can talk about him a little bit because he came in 22nd with a good record of five and three with just pure chaos. So, well, I'm intrigued. So let's take a look at it now. So, ooh, buddy, I piqued Eric's interest. Let's go. <laughs> All right. So, Marcus's list is Chaos Undivided. It is a Disciples of Bellacore army. So, it is Bellacore, a Changecaster, a Herald of Slanesh, two 30 man Bloodletter Bricks, a 30 man unit of Horrors, a one unit of three Nurglings a unit of two Beasts of Nurgle, a unit of five Furies, and then a patrol detachment with a regular sorcerer yep. from, yeah, Chaos Space Marine Sorcerer. There we go. Um, a unit of five Chaos Space Marines, a unit of five, ra- two units of five Raptors, and then a unit of two Obliterators. That's pretty wild. I guess the only thing yeah. I'm questioning is... Um... Well, I guess that of the Furies bump them up to six, so you're guaranteed to get R&D off, but that's the only question I've got. I mean, yeah, got. I, I look at this list, and all I know is, is that Bellacore exists, and ooh, buddy, is he hard for most people to deal with. Yeah, I know he's hard to deal I don't remember what the bonuses were for Disciples of Bellacore, so I have to look that up. But um, I've this is very similar to the... Um, Actually, it was on a team event with Don, and this was pretty much the list. He said, this is what you need to run. And I was like, okay. So how fast can I paint this? And um, I remember the hardest part about this list was with the blood letters coming in via Deep Strike because they have this uh, banner where it allows you to do a 3-6 uh, charge. So you, mm-hmm. you could, And you really had to manage your clock really well because putting those 30 models down from sideboard onto the table so it was always like turn two or turn three they're usually dropping in knowing that 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 round's probably going to chew up 30 to 40 minutes 
and don't panic. You know, there's, oh my God, I'm running out of time. Uh, no, you're not going to run out of time. And um, yeah, given that those blood letters collide with their target, whatever those blood letters are touching, they're going to explode. Yeah, they're pretty nasty. Um, you've got the instrument of chaos, give them the plus one, the charge. Yeah, all good stuff there. Yeah. And then the um, the blue horrors as well. And those things, I hated those things. I, I had fun painting them, but I, they were no, I'm not a big Zeech fan, but man, they do work. They just yeah, and, shoot and kill things. <laughs> and looking at it, it's um, so it's 29 pink horrors, and then a single blue horror, like however that list is written, because it just lists it as horrors. It's not like specific kinds. So, yeah, you got one blue horror, one iridescent horror, who's your sergeant, and then a pair of brimstones. So, um, here's to see how. I'm not sure. I never. I've never. I only had the pink horror, so I just blocked what I had. But I'm not. So I'm wondering what the strategy is there in terms of wound allocation to make sure certain models are taken first. So mm-hmm. I'd be curious how that works. But let's go ahead and meander ourselves back up to Mr. Chester with his Osteriani stuff taking the Rocky Top Rumble. Um, again, it's the, the Hail of Doom and Masterful Shots. So I th- honestly think with how often this combination of Custom Craft World is popping up, this might c- be the current go-to. Craft World? Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, because it's it's just straight efficient. There's no weird rules to it usually, and I it's very much the same thing that we've I've seen like Nick Nana, Nick Nanavati use at Dallas, and then the person who won the Goonhammer tournament use some uh, Seer Councils, uh, Farseer Skyrunners, two Farseer Skyrunners, Rangers, Howling Banshees, Striking Scorpions, some Windriders. Baharoth, Void Reavers. Wait, what? Corsairs? What yeah, is this? Exactly. <laughs> so Brad throws us a curveball here with Bahara and um, Corsairs. And okay, so there's some really clever stuff in here. Nope, I was about to say something stupid and I didn't. No, wait. There is a requirement, right? A troop requirement in a patrol? Do you take a patrol? No, it was a... Um, it's a Vanguard. Never mind that. I'm going to yep. keep my mouth shut. That's what I thought. So it's like, wait a minute. You can't take Corsairs as your mandatory slot. But no, Vanguards, you do not require troops. So they can be they can be there all they want. Yep. So it's Baharoth, two units of Corsair Void Reavers. Um, and then Void Scarred. I don't know what those are. I'm guessing those are some kind of elite choice. Yep. So the key thing he's doing there is this, it's, this is the uh, kill team box thing. Oh, okay. So I'm curious where he got the models from. So right off the bat, number two, because I'm jealous. Uh, number two with the Void Scar. What he's doing here is, this is a neat trick I saw on a Drakari list um, a few weeks back as well. He took the uh, Wayseeker, which is the uh, Psyker, and he's buried in the unit. Similar mm-hmm. to like a Thousand Suns Sergeant type thing. Oh, sorcerer. Uh-huh. Yep. So he's very limited um, in what he can take for powers, but you usually see him with Fateful Divergence, which that means on a he basically casts out on a five up, you gain an additional command point. Yeah. So at that point, it's a it's a safe thing because at that point you're not having to attach it to a character. 
Correct. And um, technically, like the Void Scar, since there's a Psyker in the unit, I believe this unit can cast the Psychic action for War Ritual or Interrogation and stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, yeah, it's a neat little choice tech. Just like um, how some Custodes players bring the Voidsmen at arms, like the little cheapy four-point no orc, no force orc slot choice to sit on objective or whatever. Right. Um, but to round off his list, it is a whopping one, two, three, ten man bricks of dire adventures. I feel it's bad for whoever's to look at that. Um, a unit of five howling banshees, a unit of five swooping hawks, and a unit of five wind riders. And I'm guessing here is the second void guard unit is just to fill out the the mid. Well, no, he already has. Yeah, he just needed three elites. So I'm not sure what the second weights guard, because there's only being their 60-point unit. Okay, I guess that's all there's. Maybe I'm overthinking it. But. Yeah, judging by the points cost of everything else, because he has 100 points. So he has two units of five Howling Banshees, and they're each 105 points of pop, so that's already 210. The Striking Scorpions are another 105, and... So in total, he has 15 Wind Riders, which are each 150 points. That's so cool. So at that point, that's 450 Wind Riders. You're starting to run out of points really quickly. Yeah. So I'm pretty sure that's why he ended up taking the, the Voids card, because of the fact that they were super cheap for what they do. So another kind of like, oh, we're going to take these for really cheap action monkeys. We don't care if they die, because we're going to throw enough dice with our with all of our shuriken catapults <laughs> that we just don't care. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, And then at that point, because the Corsairs are part of that custom craft world, do they actually benefit from the custom craft world? Or is there like a word restriction for them? Corsairs, I do not believe benefit from any craft world ability. So I don't think they have that keyword, but they don't break it either. So, Oh, okay. That makes sense. But yeah, no, it's <laughs> that threw me through a loop. I saw Void Reavers. I went, wait a minute, this isn't hard. Uh-huh. <laughs> but yeah. yes, congratulations to Mr. Chester on the nice, solid win rate that he had at the event. Never, never got a perfect hundred, and he only dipped below 90 once for his round four. But it's not easy to play eight rounds and go undefeated. No, not at all. So just just playing eight games alone. There's a lot of people just can't do that anymore. And uh, so, yeah, hats off to him. And uh, hats off for venturing out with a new list. I mean, there's nobody was running something like that. I thought that was very interesting. <laughs> yep. And now all the kill team boxes are bought off the shelf. Well, I haven't been able to find them. I'll be honest with you. Not that I wanted to spend uh, $300 just to get five models, but um, I've not seen it anywhere. Oh, yeah, true, because that box set was the Corsairs and Chaos Space Marines, right? No, that one was... Oh, wait, is it? Hold on. Yeah, because I could have sworn that the, that Kill Team box set that had the Corsairs in it had like some specific Chaos Space Marine models or something like that. So that's why no one got it unless they wanted the Corsairs. I think you're right. I think it is the box Chaos Space Marine. I'm getting mixed up with the uh, Chaos Space, the Chosen with the uh, Eldari Rangers box that wasn't Kill Team. Oh, yeah, the Eldritch Omens. Yeah. Which, which I bought. <laughs> <laughs> no pirates regret there. Hey. <laughs> hey, man, 
I'm right with you there as I look at my as my look at my book of Horus Heresy. Meh. Anyway, so we are going to venture over to what is actually in California, but listed as being in Las Vegas, Nevada, of the Frontline Gaming's own Bay Area Open. Yeah, this is quite a historic event. This is one of those venerables that really shaped uh, Torbit play as we know it now. So interesting enough, the quick history of the BAO, uh, Reese and Frankie were once long ago very avid uh, tournament players, and one of their favorite events was Adepticon, and they thought, how do we bring Adepticon to the West Coast? So th- they started the Bay Area Open, and it was after their, I think, first or second BAO that they actually started Frontline Gaming. So the t- event actually precedes the gaming company um, mm-hmm. that we know that runs the ITC. So... Gives you yeah, an idea. It, it's um, it was a very, very large event to be, like I think their story kind of rounds out with like a off of their first BAO they made something like three dollars, or something like that after everything. Yeah, tournaments in general do not are not big money makers. Um, you know, realistically, the big one. You know, if you can get ten percent profit, you're you're doing great. And um, and sometimes you need to take a loss one year so you can actually run the event the next year, just to get mm-hmm. uh, you know like a terrain costs and uh, venues and all that sort of thing. So yeah, it's you, especially the back of those old days. Um, all right, more story time with Uncle Eric here. You ready for this one, Robert? Oh, I guess I am. I'll go get my cane, oh, bastard. <laughs> All right, I just moved to Arizona, and a buddy of mine who I knew is just like, hey, you're a short flight from uh, to the Bay Area. You want to go this year? I'm like, yeah, hell yeah. And I just moved here. My family hadn't been here yet, so basically I wasn't going to do is sit around all weekend and do nothing. So I flew up there, and this was when they were at their original venue, which was the uh, old, uh, it was like a fairgrounds type thing. And give you an idea how much things have changed. This was back prior to um, BCP. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so to get your, you actually had to hand deliver your scorecard to a scoring table. Somebody had to hand enter it into an Excel spreadsheet. And then the new pairings would be posted on a column. And then there had three of them. So you had to like crowd in front of to find out where your table was and then race around to find your way around. <laughs> Yep, that is very much akin to some of the card game tournaments that I've been to. They have since updated to having QR codes, but the QR codes are still in a centralized location that everyone gathers around to scan. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, that was basically the, the breaking point. And it was, what of, um, it was a kind of a black eye a little bit for um, FLG, that particular um, BAO. But um, boy, did they ever rebound from that one. The very next event I went to was actually here in Arizona for DualCon. They knocked it out of the park. And um, lo and behold, the BCP software was introduced the following year. So it's like, what is this? So it was pretty amazing. But it was with the dark times. And it, basically, it was impossible to run an event that large. And they, they were just getting crushed. Um, and uh, so the idea of running a 200, 300 person event, much less LVO now, which could reach a thousand players um, this coming fall, 
Um, yeah. <laughs> Couldn't be done. Yeah. I mean, the fact that BCP now exists is great, and it allows us to see these, like, the sheer amount of players at this event. I think like scroll all the way down the bottom, 159 entries at BAO, but we are only going to care about the top five for this readoff. We have Tyler Nutt with Tyranids. That I'm I'm sorry about that last name, Tyler. That is such <laughs> you probably got so many jokes. Um we have Paul McKelvey with Tau. We have, CP. Uh, we have Steven Box, the the probably one of the most attractive men in 40k um, with Blood Angels coming in third. We have Michael Costello with High Fleet Hydra in second place. And then we have Jesse Sell with Adeptus Sororitas in first place. That's right, folks. Sisters of Battle. Can you believe it? Indeed, I can. Because when I looked at it earlier this morning at a whopping 3 a.m., I was like, oh, Sisters won. I looked in the morning again. Oh, Tyranid's one. No, no. Double checked. No, Sister's one. <laughs> but um, as it might have been mentioned, Jesse, I think, had to play Steven Box in the semifinals right there, which ended up knocking out Steven by a whopping single point. But, um, That's, uh, I gotta go find the shadow round on this. Da, da, da. It sounds right. I'm just trying to remember here. Give me one second. Okay. My Kung Fu is failing me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I pulled it up and I did confirm that, in fact, Jesse did play yeah. Steven in round eight. Um, but Jesse's list is something much is Bloody Rose. <laughs> stumbling over my words. But um, it has a Hospitaller, a Canoness, Celestine the Gemini, and Morvin Vol. So the two big powerful characters from the book has three super bare bones battle sister squads. No cherubs, no nothing, just bolt guns and chainswords. A single dogmata, a unit of three Paragon War suits. All of them have their multi multas and storm bolters and blah blah blah. And then he has a total of 15 Repentia. <laughs> Yay, blender units, they're great. Mm-hmm. He has a unit of five, one, two, three, six Seraphim. Got some Ham Flamers in there. The two units of five Zephyrim. So stabby flying ladies. A single unit of two Mortifiers. No. Yeah, two Mortifiers. And then a staple unit of one, two, three, four multi-melted um, Retributors. And a single Rhino. Oh. So what you're saying is with all these sisters of battle coming in first place, you really wanted Jesse's girls. But I, <laughs> <laughs> I missed it. <laughs> you suck. <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah, so Grim After Dark is the only place to get bad jokes about 40k. So, <laughs> But yes, um, the fact that it's Bloody Rose proves that people, the, the idea behind Bloody Rose of doing extra damage in melee is still one of the most efficient ways to play sisters right now, as far as I know, I don't, I haven't played against sisters that much. I usually shoot them from range and, and, or die to their multi-multas. So, <laughs> um, 
But the Paragon War Suits are definitely a unit that has come back out of the dusty shelves of nowhere since Armor of Contempt, because I believe they have a base two-up armor save. Yeah, they're kind of dead on arrival when they showed up, and now all of a sudden they're starting to creep back into some lists, and now that you have a top-placed list, I think more people will give them a try. Yep, because I know they also have the innate minus one damage. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, crap. That's bad. Yeah, now the Paragon War Suits, they were the ones that had the debacle of the points cost for them, and I also think it was either them or them and Morvan Vol that had the issue with that their minus one damage didn't have the clause up to a minimum of one. Oh, that's right. I do remember that. Which is actually the case in Hero Clicks, by the way. It's very annoying. <laughs> but yes, um, the only thing that I can kind of predict in this list is the the unit of 10 Repentia are probably chilling in that Rhino. <laughs> Just going, <laughs> let me at him. Mm. Let me at him. One thing I think is interesting that with Michael Costello coming in second, Steve Box coming in third, both are from Vanguard Tactics. So is Michael now going, now you are once the teacher, now I am the master. <laughs> I don't know, but his I actually looked over his list earlier this morning too, and his list is a very different thing than what we're used to seeing from Tyranids. Yeah. I'm super excited about this list. <laughs> yes, I, I read it over. I wanted to make sure I read it right. So it is Hydra and this high fleet, I made sure I read it right, it has initially plus one inch to your movement. So that means the Swarm Lord is actually quicker on his feet. And I believe their other thing innately is that they get to pile, they get to consolidate an extra three inches or something like that. Tell you what, I'll look that up while you read the list. Yes. So it has big old Swarmy. Um, with Catalyst and Paroxysm so, and Psychic Shriek, so the kind of go-to powers at the moment. He has Turvagon, a.k.a. the cow, as I call them, because they just make things, and they look like a cow. <laughs> um, a unit of 10 Gargoyles, three units of 15 Hormagons, and then a brick of 20 Termagons with Flesh Borders, a single unit of Tyranid Warriors, a Death Leaper, a unit of five Gene Stealers, a unit of three Venom Thropes, a unit of three Zone Thropes, the Parasite of Mortrex, and then three individual Screamer Killers. One of them has a Synaptic Enhancement. And yeah, no, that's exactly the list. So just to give you an idea, you're, you got most of the, the Hive Fleet Hydra things in place. Uh, no, they do not have Captain America on their side to care in what you th think they have. But uh, you are correct in that they get a plus one movement uh, as their adaptive uh, trait. And uh, you can swap the adaptive for a either feed or hunt bioformology, which I have to look those up at every month. That's it. But the big difference here is each time a model with this adaption makes a melee attack against targets in a unit containing fewer models than its own, add one to the attack it roll. That's the thing I was missing. So that makes sense why now he has the 15 Hormagants, because the Hormagants go from hitting on like fours to hitting on threes and potentially other buffs off of the fact that they have Scything Talons. Yay, actually having the book. I can actually look at these things. Um, so yeah, 
the the, the talons are just chain swords, so their strength user AP one one damage, but no additional attacks. Um, and oh, that's nifty. The hormigons can naturally already pile in three additional inches up to a maximum of nine. So that means those three 15-man bricks of hormigons are piling in six and consolidating six. Wait, there's more. <laughs> ah, yes. swarming. They're one of the first instances of, instances of the swarming of masses ability. They get to f- they're, um, they're the ones that get to fight two and a half inches away. <laughs> So they get all of them. <laughs> but you know what makes them really good into the Tyranid, Tyranid mirror match and maybe even to the Imperial Knight? Sure thing. Tell me before I try to guess because I don't like having the wrong answer. The Hydra have their own special stratagem called Critical Mass. Uh, play in the fight phase for one CP when a Hydra unit from your army is selected to fight till the end of the phase. Each time a melee attack is made with this... Uh, that targets an enemy unit with fewer models than its own, you can re-roll the wound rolls. Yep, it is definitely a fast, a very fast and very aggressive sounding version of um, carpet bugs. I dare not call them bed bugs because those things are terrifying. Yes, they um, are. <laughs> and very hard to get rid of, by the way. <laughs> but yes, it is. So, And then the single brick of termagants with the flesh borers, the fact that the Turvagon every round can um, refresh up to 2d6 destroyed models from that unit. And then once per game, it can birth an entire unit of 10 for free. So cool. I love this army. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This, this Tyranid list is something that I would honestly enjoy playing. I would probably end up playing more Gene Stealers because of the fact that I'm a sadist. <laughs> <laughs> but then again, I also just like murdering things in melee because I'm actually an orc. The the Carnifexes, though, are the the odd choice for me. Because I'm not very familiar with Screamer Killers outside of the fact that I think they're the shooting ones. I haven't learned the new names for these yet. Because so. I know I know the they were diff there were like three different versions of Carnifexes. Yeah. The Carnifex, the Thornback, and the Screamer Killers. So Screamer Killers are they have the bioplasmic scream, which uh, is a blast weapon. It's strength eight, AP minus four, with salt D six. That's kind of rude. And only one damage, and it's free. And oh, they have four scything talons essentially, because so there's strength six, AP three, flat three damage. And yeah, no, um, blistering assault. They get an extra attack. Blah 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 blah. Minus one damage, death throws, monster. Okay, so they're also a minus one leadership bubble of... Yeah, that's interesting. I'm pretty sure they are literally distraction carnifexes. I saw the ten attacks and just went, oh my god! (laughs) Oh, I missed that part. (laughs) Now I gotta look up the other one. It's the thornbacks that are shooters, right? Yeah, it's the thornbacks that are shooter ones. Okay. Oh, And um, he had them all equipped with adrenal glands, so they're all actually at strength seven. Uh-huh. And they get an additional inch of movement. So those screamer killers are now currently moving twelve. <laughs> yeah, that's no longer a distraction carnifex. That is a carnifex shaped missile. <laughs> Holy crap! There's three of them. 
Yeah. I mean, I really, that actually makes a lot of sense now. And I just, I actually really like this list. This list looks like a lot of fun to play outside of the fact that I have no idea what to do in the psychic phase. <laughs> yeah. I was about to say the same thing. So I noticed like, I don't know what to do with all the pyrovores and the, uh, the pyrovores, the, uh, the psychic bugs that he's got in this list. Cause I don't know what they do. I, I, I don't, yeah. I know there's some nasty mortal wound output. I just don't know how to use it yet. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, he's got Zillothropes, Venomthropes. So I'm like, yeah, I don't know what they really do yet. But yeah, uh, otherwise, it it makes me happy to see that Tyranids aren't running around as number one dogs anymore. Well, they're still really scary, but people have kind of put them in their place a little bit. And my my one shout out is the one guy who made top eight with Chaos Knights. <laughs> So I'm glad you brought that up. That was one more topic I wanted to get to before we close things out tonight is, yeah, uh, what's up with Chaos Knight? What's up with Knights in general? Uh, were they really dead on arrival like everybody said they were? Well, just kind of thinking about it in general, the the overall meta, if you're, answer- if you're responding to Tyranids, which are usually bringing Leviathan, and they're running a whole bunch of big bugs you're already bringing things to shoot into knights because i know there was the one guy who did really well with a 13 war dog list and then like um this player ashton frizzle he brought an abominant a desecrator (laughs) wow (laughs) this is actually almost the exact list that i came up with on my own Um, Great and he, like. <laughs> apparently, um, and he is playing them as Herpetrax, and her, I'm not familiar with Herpetrax. You need a shot for that, don't you? I mean, at this point, <laughs> I might. But it's uh, the it's the Abominant, so the new Psyker Knight, the Desecrator, so the one with the Turbo Laser Destructor as a shooting gun. It's the equivalent to a preceptor for us a single brigand a unit of three executioners so the classic helverins with the auto cannons and then a unit of carnivores and so three carnivores so the the 14 inch movement hitting on twos in melee <laughs> war dogs it is great but the problem is is that knights still suffer from if you're a big knight, you don't benefit from terrain. And guess what everyone does? They put you out of range for everything. So then you walk forward, they sh- pop out, they shoot you with multi-miltas, and you're dead. Yeah. So at that point, it's I think it's a knights are just, just struggle because of the fact that people answer Tyranids, and that automatically answers knights. I can see that. Okay. Fair enough. Quick shout out to a couple other players who did not make it to the top cut, but of note here, we, we joked about Paul McKelvey. For those of you, he was actually on the show a few months back. He is actually one of the top uh, lead designers, actually, with BCP. So, yes, he does play the game. And then that BAO I was talking about, I actually got to play him in the first round. Ooh. Yes. I thought I had him beat, and then all of a sudden, all his reserves came in and blew me off the table. It was awesome. <laughs> uh, other notes, uh, Aurelia Carrera, uh, playing Knights Renegades. Uh, he came in 12th. That name sounds familiar. He actually is a formidable player on the tournament circuit, but most recently, he's been getting a little more of the public eye as he's been working for Frontline Gaming as part of their uh, terrain department. 
uh, getting things ready for all their own events. So very cool there. And friend of the show and frequent contributor to the show in the past, uh, Josh Jetty also was at the event with his Suriani and uh, had a great showing actually. And he came in uh, uh, three and three on the weekend. So great job there, Josh. Appreciate it. And, and I believe we have to say his name correctly. It's Josh Gene because it's all capitals. All capitals. That's how he lives his life, damn it. All capitals. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, it's it's great to see that there are at least a whole... There's a variety of people showing up and still placing in the top chunk of the tables. Like, even 9th, 10th, like, 9th through 16th, it's Tyranids, Osiriani Tyranids, Grey Knights, Chaos Knights, Harlequins, Harlequins, and Tau. So it's still kind of iffy on if you're able to squeeze past those things. But then as soon as you pass 16th, it's anyone's game at that point. Like there's a Gene Sealer cult in 19th place. Yeah. I still have this feeling that Gene Sealer cult is actually a decent army and just ridiculously hard to play. Oh yes. So yeah, but it's interesting. You're not seeing a lot of orcs. You're not seeing, I I was expecting to see more space Marines. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, Steven Box's list. Granted, it's still the pilot who makes it win, but we didn't read it simply because it's the same Blood Angel list we've talked about for the last two weeks. And um, so, yeah, I was kind of like, you know, where, where's, where's Death Watch? Where's, where's um, Space Wolves? So we haven't seen anything like that yet with Arbor Content. So that's why I was expecting to see some of that pop up. We haven't. Yeah, at, at that point, I think it is just very much of people might have hopped off the train to take a break until something else comes up. I don't know, but I know I'm still going to enjoy playing the game because I like playing custodes. They're fun. Chaos Knights are going to be fun for the next league because I might have them painted before the next league starts. (laughs) Hey listeners, this is Raymond with the Extreme Honest Podcast here to talk to you about KR cases. If you're like me, and you're constantly looking for that better way to store your armies, then look no further than KR Cases. That's right, this is the foam company known for their soft blue foam in the cardboard cases. They're a great way to mix and match whenever you're heading out for that next tournament. You can just swap out those boxes, and no need to worry about switching the foam in and out. They're sturdy, the boxes help protect your models, and if you when you order, they come fast, the order is right, and for a better price than the other guy. So go to krcases.com, and when you place your order, be sure to mention the Extermination Podcast. So a lot of players we mentioned this week uh, did actually find themselves into the ITC Top 10. So here we go. And uh, by the way, those of you who are listening at this point, we thank you because uh, we got all kinds of metrics on our statistics and uh, only about 80% of you um, uh, do make it this far. So I'm very th- thankful for that. It's one of the highest on the internet. But the other 20% of you who just dropped out already, uh, this is what you missed. Uh, 10th place, Ben Jones is uh, in the ITC Top 10 with 1,184 points. Uh, ninth place, Brendan Weiss. Eighth place, Anthony Birdsong, who actually had a strong showing at the um, same event with Brad Chester. Seventh place, Stephen Crawley. Yeah, we remember we talked about him with his Tyranids. 
Sixth place, Thomas Ogden with 1,203 points. Matt Robertson, who was at the Goonhammer event in England. Uh, fourth place, Ennis Wilson, uh, getting himself back into the top half of the top 10. David Gaylard, who we talked about his list at length. But interestingly enough, Benny Chima, despite winning the event, still hangs on to second place. His Vic Vijay has now leapfrogged him with 1,307 points, a fragile four-point lead for the top spot in the ITC, at roughly the halfway point of the season. Yep, it is definitely starting to be that mid-season settling of People are starting to get to their fourth, fifth, sixth events, and now they're starting to just shuffle little bit by little bit around for fighting for those points. Speaking for points, we haven't talked about this in a while. The team championship right now, fifth place, Glasshammer at 21-39, fourth place, Death and Glory, Third place, Vanguard Tactics. The second place, Dice Down. And first place, Art of War. Now, I don't know if you're thinking that's not a big surprise that they're in first place, but I think the surprise is that they only have a 120-point lead over Dice Down. And uh, even Vanguard Tactics is with a 200 points of them for the top spot. So not quite running away with it like most people think. Yeah, like looking over the club points here, as soon as you... Because it's two four three two three one two two two, it's easily like any of the players on any of these clubs. Just two events, like they win two large events, it'll instantly bump them up at least one spot, if not one, maybe two if they're large enough. But again, that's a best. That's a huge ask for a lot of things. Yeah, also remember with the team event, a team, uh, excuse me, uh, standings is that only an individual player can, I think, can only contribute three, I believe, scores to the, their top 10. So depth is a big issue. Yeah. Like um, looking at our local club, Smite Club here, we have our 10 events for, and right, we're, we're in 70th something right now. But right now, we have not that many events underneath our belt because it's like a lot of people from Scorched Earth Open, um, the Winter League, a a um, RTT that happened in Flagstaff recently, and then our friend Ben Jurek with his seven, placing 17th at the Seattle Open from GW. So like we have a lot of different things, but they're just... We're not as active as other clubs. Yeah. So uh, as the summer months, that will change uh, more travel opportunities and, and more tournaments local to our area. So looking forward to that. Mm-hmm. So that is our show for this week. Uh, look for more updates, of course, on our Facebook page. Hopefully we'll get some news items uh, other than uh, more horse heresy nonsense. But um, in the meantime, we'll have quite a few uh, articles still to go through. Uh, you have some more painting updates. I will be working on mid-table obscurity for next week and uh, see how life in the middle tables has changed as the meta changes at the top levels. Yep, sounds like a good plan, Eric. Okay. So for this episode, my name's Eric. I'm Robert. And thank you for listening to the Exterminus Podcast. <laughs>